Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, well, uh, something a bit different um, this afternoon on the show. Um, sitting alongside me here in the studio is uh, a good friend of mine from school. He's one of uh, New Zealand's top pro golfers, um, playing the game that we all um, hate to love. It's uh, Luke Toomey sitting in with us. G'day, Toomes. G'day, mate. It's good to be on. Thanks yeah. for having me. Long time no see. Um, we go way back to, to school days. Yeah. And uh, look, you were playing uh, a lot of golf back then, and, and you could tell it was a bit of an obsession for you. But at what stage did you sort of think, you know, I'm going to give this a real crack and, and, and go pro? Because I imagine that's a pretty tough decision. Golf's not a, an easy sport to, to go professional in. So, yeah, yeah how did that all sort it's of play out? It's not quite as black and white as other sports, I think, where there's like a clear-cut pathway for you. Um, well, I guess the d- decision came probably just after my first year at uni, but I guess I could go all the way back to being sort of seven, eight, nine years old and I was the kid sort of daydreaming in class and I was never daydreaming about um, being a black cap or, or playing for Man United, even though I love those sports mm. as well and was probably better at them at that age mm-hmm. um, than I was at golf. I was just always dreaming about a putt to win at the Masters, so kind of just always saw myself going down this path and then have been fortunate enough to to chase it and, and give it a good crack. Yeah. So, so yeah, the decision, I guess, because you said first year of uni, um, what was the alternative path? What were you sort of thinking about doing before you were like, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give golf a crack? I don't really know, to be honest. I, um, I yeah, so I started my BMS um, at Waikato and then... After my first year, I was—I can remember it clearly. I was hanging out the washing and I had just reapplied for my second-year papers. Um, and my mum, um, the dear lady she is, but the education was always number one in, mm. in the household. Um, and schoolwork always came first. And I just remember her coming out while I was hanging out the washing, and she said, um, "Are you going back to uni this year?" And I sort of thought. This seems like a loaded question. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I can't answer this right. <laughs> yeah, um, this is a trick. And I said, um, "Yeah, like I've applied for my second year papers, and everything's all is hunky dory." And she sort of said, "Oh, what about golf?" And I said, "Oh, you know, what about golf? Like I've sort of been training while I'm studying, and um, I just assumed that I'd finish my degree and then see where I'm at, and then maybe give it a crack." And and she basically just looked me in the eyes and said, "Oh, you know, you only get one shot." Um, you know, and if you if you want to give it a crack, then you have my full support. Um, and then it came with a few other things like you know, show me a ten year plan. And I think within about twenty five minutes, I had a ten year plan down. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she was like, "Let's make it happen, buddy." So yeah. um, I rang uni thirty minutes later and said, "I'm not coming back." And they sort of said, "Oh, you know, you can." you know, park, park this for the second and and, mm. and when you feel like coming back, you can. Um, and I said, I can assure you I won't be. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, but, yeah, I, I've, yeah, I was very lucky, I think, with parents, uh, both mum and dad, just um, have been by my side the whole way through and, yeah. and super encouraging of a pathway that probably wasn't quite typical, especially, I mean, you and I went through private school and the question is, 
isn't necessarily are you going to uni it's which one are you going to mm. um so yeah very lucky i think with mm. the support that i've had part of the reason that i wanted to sort of get you in here is because you know for a lot of kiwis um and, and look we love golf you know like a lot of kiwis play golf um sort of casually but you know a lot of them watch the pga and now that we've got foxy you know sort of rolling around that's increased the interest a little bit but you know there's a lot of golfers i guess like yourself who it's not you know it, the, the path isn't straightforward mm-hmm. um and you know you you are you 30 yet are you knocking on 30 uh, literally in two days. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so turning thirty in two days. So, you know, it, it's um, golf is such a hard sport because not only, and I find this interesting. You know, if you're a rugby player, um, you know, you get a contract for a year and you're getting paid every week. And look, you might not play your best rugby, you might dip in and out, but you're getting paid for a year. You guys are literally paying for your money basically every week. You know, yep. and you're trying to find a a path where you can play the sport that you love whilst also making a living. So. Just give us a sense, I guess, of when you made the decision early on, what the path, what you thought the path was going to look like, how you sort of saw it playing out, that 10-year plan, and and how it sort of did play out in reality. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think you're sort of blinded by, um, and probably what the general public assumes professional golfing life to be like. Mm. Um, I knew that um, playing as an amateur, like I, 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 was de- I dedicated myself to playing as an elite amateur first, um, because there are opportunities to sort of um, shortcut a lot of the hard yakka that you have to do if you just go straight to being a rookie pro. Mm. Um, there's benefits to like being top 50 in the world as an elite amateur and being able to go to final stages of qualifying schools. It's complicated. But um, I accepted that was going to be non-paid, but if I played good enough, then I could play for New Zealand and, and our national um, body would you know take care of a lot of the funding in that regard. The only thing is that you're just not playing for the money, but it yeah. also doesn't cost you anything, so yeah. it's not too bad. Um, and I did a little bit of part-time work. I worked for a company called The First Tee, which is huge in America and unfortunately doesn't exist here anymore, um, but uh, an awesome organisation to work for as far as going into underprivileged schools and using golf as a tool to be to be able to sort of teach core values and just basic life principles. Um, mm. I really loved that job. Um, but that sort of helped fund my way as I... Um, sort of did my thing as, a, as an amateur golfer. And then when I turned pro, I, I um, this is probably where a lot of my assumptions were wrong. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I was in for a rude awakening, I think, of what it, what, just the level at which um, two of pros played at. Yeah. Um, the elite amateurs are amazing, but there's a, there's only sort of half a dozen events that you play overseas per year where the fields are like truly, truly strong, unless you're based in America and playing against them all, all year round. Um, but for New Zealanders, it's easy to be a big fish in a small pond. Um, and then, yeah, so when I turned pro, uh, my, I spent my first year on the Australasian tour and pretty much you've got PGA Tour fields um, the caliber of those fields are insane mm. um, and you're playing for a tenth of the money. So, I mean, we all know that um, you're missing cuts, you're not making anything, but yeah. you can even have a good week and finish 35th and you've barely covered your cost for the week. Yeah. Um, so the first six months I was living off the smell of an oily rag and uh, was basically, like I teed it up at my first New Zealand Open and basically said, I have to finish top 25 this week um, and otherwise I can't afford to go to Brisbane the next week um, and thankfully finished tied 25th <laughs> <laughs> that's great um, but, it's, so. and, but it is like that in terms of 
you know, and especially early on, you almost are playing week to week. And in, in the fact of like you, the, that allows me to do this, and then that allows me to do that. Is that sort of how it structured it, a little it bit? It can be. It yeah. can be very much so. Um, and it's a wild world in the sense that, like on certain tours, you know, you might 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 ha- you might not have any status, but you might Monday qualify for the event. Mm. But then if you top twenty that week, then you're exempt for the next week. Right. So there's lots of flow on. There's lots of opportunity, but that's bloody hard to do. Um, and I don't know another sport that's as brutal when you're out of form. As you say, like, if you're contracted to cricket teams, basketball teams, um, whatever team, um, typically you're getting paid to sit on the bench regardless. But for us, if we're underperforming, we're not getting paid at all. Mm. And I don't know another sport where you can burn through 50K in a heartbeat. Mm. Like, it's... Yeah. It can be brutal for sure. Yeah, I'm uh, like you're probably one of the hardest working sort of guys I know. Like I follow you on Instagram and socials, and just you know you're constantly out there practicing and honing your craft. I know how dedicated you are to it, and you're a real student of golf as well. I've talked mm-hmm. to our mutual friend of ours, Andy, who says like playing with you is and just your the way you think about golf. It's you know you can tell you're obsessed with it. When you turn it into a career though, um, and you you go pro and you start chasing it, um, how tough is it? Like, was there any point where you thought question curtains, it. yeah. Um, oh, very mildly, but not to the extent I think that probably ninety five percent of golfers do. As you say, like I would call myself a golf perv. I'm a, I'm a bit <laughs> of a sicko. Like I'm yeah. I'm I'm one of those guys that does it for a living, goes to golf all day, and then comes home and watches like Tiger Woods highlights on YouTube, <laughs> and then you know I'm up at five a.m. watching the Masters and every other major and that sort of thing. So like I'm. And I'm absolutely obsessed by this game, yeah. Um, and I count myself very fortunate for that. I truly do love it. Um, but there's a, I would say, and, and this shocks people every time I say it, but I would say 95% of tour pros don't actually like golf. They just happen to be good at it. Wow. Um, and I think, I think they probably did like golf at some point. Yeah. Um, but that turning it into a, a job I think it very much becomes a transaction it's you know like a it's a bit of a return on interest sort of yeah. um, sport for them and they kind of just turn up and try and take their paycheck and send that home and that's that yeah well I mean I was I was actually going to ask you like if has there been a point where it, you've, it's felt more like a job to you than actually actually loving it definitely De- um, yeah I've definitely had my moments I think where um, haven't been playing as good and you are burning through some cash and, and that probably, that's the time where you really need to step back I think and and find the reasons why you love it but I think the deeper you get into that hole the more you want to just make a paycheck mm. um, so quite contradictory in that sense but yeah I mean I've had, I've had a couple of moments um, where I've probably struggled to find the right motivations um, but it's a quick reality check or just a conversation with the right person in my team and you get back to to where you need to be, I think. Mm. But we're just, I think living in Western society honestly makes it the most difficult because um, like we're plagued by this um, like work to live mentality. Totally, yeah. Um, and that, you know, money and um, setting up a life and owning first homes and that sort of thing is the most important thing on, on the bucket list and realistically it shouldn't be on the list at all. Mm. Um and I mean, we, we, I think one of the one of the coolest people that we've both been fortunate enough to spend time with is Mike Groom, and I, I sort of come back to his teachings often, especially when I'm in some of those holes. Um, and life for him is purely about the passion of his own sport, which is obviously football. 
Um, but yeah, for me, it's it's coming back to those basic prim- like first motivations of like why did I start playing the sport? It's because I love it. Mm. So yeah, every now and then there's uh, I need a, a good old kick up the backside. But yeah. It's it is what it is. I th- I'd say most athletes go through that at some yeah. point. Yeah, for sure. Such as the game of golf as well. Um, yeah. Luke Toomey is my guest in studio this afternoon. Um, if you've got any questions, you can text her on double eight double three. We are going to take a short break. Um, Luke's going to stay on for a little bit longer. I'm going to talk to him after the break about uh, where he's been over the last couple of years and where he's heading to. So stay with us. Texting questions. I'm not going to answer those. <laughs> Pretend <laughs> like it's live. Uh, <laughs> all right, just come back in. <clears throat> Welcome back in, uh, ECNZ Afternoons here, uh, Staffy away for the week, so Sam Hewitt sitting in for him. My guest in studio today is uh, Kiwi pro golfer Luke Toomey. We've been talking a little bit about uh, the the difficulties of, of being a pro golfer and some of the struggles that he's had uh, while he's been playing. He's also had some success as well, uh, Tooms, and I think sort of pre-COVID, um, you, were, you were sort of playing a lot up in Asia, um, playing over in China as well, um, and then COVID hit, um, which derailed a lot of plans for a lot of athletes and just people in general where you weren't allowed to travel for a couple of years and now you've had to reassess um, your, your golfing path I guess so take us back to 2019 you're playing in China and how things were tracking for you then what trajectory you were on and how you've had to, to readjust to where you are now yeah definitely um, had to take a like a little bit of a step back and start again after COVID but pre-COVID I felt like I was just starting to find my feet internationally um, I had I'd had two seconds up in China and then um, I came home and wanted to get my Aussie card back because the seasons don't clash like mm. you can kind of play both at the same time um, and and I won Q school um, so I'd set myself up with a full season to play Aussie Opens and uh, New Zealand Opens and all that sort of thing um, and then about 25 days later we were locked in a house mm. so yeah, it was. I mean, it was just unfortunate timing. But I mean, when I sort of compare my career as far as where I was in my career, I kind of. I mean, I have to count my lucky stars, really. Like, had you have been, you know, thirty-eight and, um, you know, teetering on, am I going to do this or am I not? I mean, it kind of put a full stop on your career right then and then. So I was lucky that I had time on my side. Um, but interestingly enough, uh, post COVID, I do feel like. I was young and I had time Mm. and now I feel like the clock's ticking. Um, So, yeah, a little bit of, I think I'd put a little bit of probably unnecessary pressure because, I mean, in our sport, age is really just a number. I mean, look at Stephen Elka, um, perfect example. Um, But it still meant hitting pause and almost having to start again because a lot of the tours kind of just flowed on through. They, um, and whereas our tour, um, Aussie tour, sort of pressed pause for a little bit. And, um, yeah, just I had to – since COVID, I've had to come back, earn my card back again, um, which I did, thankfully, and um, played a full season and got myself into top 50 category, which gives me all the opportunities that I earned playing or uh, winning Q school three years ago now. So, um, yeah. Interesting journey. Mm. I mean, no one would have forced like have, would have foreseen a pandemic. So yeah, it's just it is what it is, really. Yeah. So I mean, the goal I imagine for you know pretty much any golfer has got to be the PGA or perhaps playing in Europe. What what what's the what is the goal for you? I mean, yeah, US PGA Tour is is the goal, right? Like, who doesn't want to play against Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas and John Rahm and mm. all the rest of them? Um, I'm still determined to 
well, as I say, time's ticking, but my it would be my dream to play in the same event as Tiger's playing. I think that would just be epic, but it's getting pretty hard now. He's obviously only playing maybe four times a year at best, so and those would be the majors, so unless mm. I can try and pre-qualify into one of those, then, you know, maybe not. But it is what, I mean, USPJ Tour is the dream. Um, and then outside of that, there's you know, plenty of other pathways and stuff that I would be somewhat content with, I guess, like playing up in Japan is super appealing. Amazing lifestyle, amazing country. It's probably yeah. my favourite country to visit in the world. Um, the travel from New Zealand is doable. Um, you don't necessarily have to go and base yourself there. Um, if you're in the US, you're playing you know, back-to-back weeks uh, across every state and um, that you probably need to up and leave, which would be easy enough to do. And mm-hmm. I know that my wife, Kayla, she is kind of keen to go and see some of the world anyway, so she'd come along. But, um, yeah, there's... Yeah, I mean, I couldn't think of anything better than having my name called on the first year of Augusta and, you know, playing against the world's best. It'd be pretty cool. So how do you get there? What's the... <sighs> Play good. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds easy. <laughs> Sounds easy. Um, no, there are a few But you can, can yeah, like, yeah, t- talk us through a few of the... the Because, op- you know, for a lot of people listening to this, like I said before, you know, they're just used to following the PGA. Um, you know, a couple of the golf nuts probably do keep an eye on the New yeah. Zealand golf, the, the um, Charles Tour and what's going on here. But, yeah, yeah tell us logistically how it might work you you getting yeah. out there realistically it's probably a two-year pathway at, um, at best um, and that's basically me having a good year in Aussie um, if you finish top three you and yourself a full DP world tour card or what was European tour card uh, European tour um, and then you play half decent in Europe well not half decent probably very decent in Europe and get yourself into the top 50 in the world um, it sounds very straightforward, which is not. <laughs> but um, if you if you're top fifty in the world, you basically um, you solidify yourself into any event that you want to play anywhere, really. Mm. Um, unless you start talking to live tour, and then you're banned from playing anything. But, <laughs> it's true. Um, you know they, uh, or you win. You know you win the right event um, up on deeper world tour, and that gives you just straight access um, yep. to playing majors and, yep. and whatnot. Um, the other route is uh, for any event that ends in open. That basically means that you can qualify for that event. They'll hold pre-qualifying for those events. So even a US Open or a British Open, like I went up to British Open qualifying last year. You did, yeah. Missed out by a couple of shots, unfortunately, but it, um, wicked experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can you can enter yourselves into into such said qualifiers, um, and it's a pretty pointy end to triangle. You got to finish, let's say, top three out of. 150 guys at final stage qualifying um, and there is a qualifying to get to that final stage qualifying before that too so you're going to progress through that mm. there might be like 12 stages with 120 guys at each and in the top three of those are only going through to final so yeah. um, it is difficult absolutely but there are a shitload of pathways um, excuse my French but um, you can't it is doable mm. I think that's probably the toughest thing about our sport too is that the, there's always a dangling carrot no matter how bad you're playing in front of you yep. you're only you know two good swings away from switching momentum and, and giving yourself an opportunity to play on some of the on a world stage so mm. yeah what do you think um, separates top um, maybe top amateurs, um, but also golfers out there who are like scratch golfers, you know, who who play their local courses and they they shoot really really well. 
what do you think is the is the main difference between that and someone like yourself, you know, or, or pros? Because um, a lot of people just talk about the mental thing. They talk about you know playing four days of golf in a row. It's like you know it's all well and good playing on a Saturday morning and shooting three under, but doing it four days in a row. What what for you is sort of the biggest step from from someone who's a really really good scratch golfer or a top amateur to going to the to the pro level? There's so there's quite a few differences to be fair. Um, I think people. I I mean. The amount of times I've gone to a golf club and and the members start telling me about some stalwart of the club forty years ago that <laughs> shot ten under and how good he could have been. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he shot ten under once, mate. Like, <laughs> you got to do that pretty much every week on the PGA Tour. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think the biggest difference is pressure uh, and how well you can manage yourself in that environment. Um, it's one thing to go out on a Saturday and and shoot sixty. Um, but when you've got to shoot 60 to, as I said before, potentially just make enough money to get to the next week or to solidify your card and your job for the following year um, or to yeah, uh, to avoid having to go back to qualifying school, which can cost you, you know, 15 to 20 grand at a time, all of a sudden you're playing for different reasons and while these things are all sort of intrinsic, that doesn't make them any less real or the pressure any less non-existent. So, mm. um, yeah, I'd say that'd be the biggest difference. And what about when you you know look at the look at the pros and the PGA? Um, I imagine the skill level there there is a, a sort of a jump from you know, someone like yourself to to someone like them. But is their main asset the fact that they just this mental ability is just through the roof? Or, do, or is there a skill level just no, no, no. There, so much better? There's a skill level difference as well. There's probably the, the, another misconception is, um, let's say you go and play with that club golfer who's you know shot 65 once in his life, and he plays with someone like me. His expectation is for me to just not miss a shot. Yeah. But I might play terrible, but I'm signing for 67 or whatever it is, and he's played pretty good and signed for 72. Hmm. Um, and that's probably the same difference of when I go and play against you know some of the best players in the world. You kind of walk off going, I don't feel like I got outplayed, mm. but we're signing for four shots different. Yeah. How did that happen? Um, they just know how to get it done. Um, the best the best football teams in the world do the same thing. Um, I mean, there was a point where maybe like like the Aussie cricket team in the early two thousands, like they. They could just have bad days and still find a way to grit out a win. I mean, it's just, I don't know what it is. If I did know the answer, then I'd probably be playing on the PJ. <laughs> um, but it's just. No, but I think, that's a, I think that's a really good point because, you know, a lot of people listening here, we, we're just not as well versed in actually playing in, in this sort of level. So it's easy, like you said, to watch it on TV and just assume that they, these guys just never make bad shots. I mean, there's also that argument that when you're watching on TV, you only see the good shots, right? The cameras don't show you necessarily all these bad shots that are getting played. Yeah, it's 100%. all these pin seekers and, you know, 18 foot putts and everything. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people think that the camera just flicks over to a player live and watches them bury a 30 footer. Mm. And that footage probably happened like 30 seconds ago. Yeah. And of course they pan to that. They don't pan to the guy that's just like hot, hit a hosel rocket <laughs> in the water. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's again, that's that's the biggest difference is that those players for any given tournament are going to probably have two or three average days and only one good day. But on those two or three average days, they still find a way to shoot, like to turn two or three over into two or three under. Yeah. And that is a skill 
um, is an amazing skill to have. Um, and I think that just comes with time in the hot seat against the best players week in, week out on the best golf courses. You kind of just get better, I think, by osmosis. And that's key, I think, as a golfer. And probably the thing that I missed out on the most during COVID is that exposure um, to being with like-minded and highly skilled individuals. Um, that'd be my biggest advice to to someone that loves this game and wants to get better, is just go and hang out with someone that is just better than you and kicks your ass every week. You'll get better, <laughs> I mm. promise you that. Mm, yeah. um, it's just this, uh, you can do that in, in any um, in any form of life, in, in business or whatever. I think the way to grow is to hang out with people that know more and are better than you. Mm. We'll take a break for new sport and weather. Um, Luke Toomey, my guest in studio today, Kiwi Pro Golfer. Um, we'll take a short break, come back, and, uh, and Luke will stay on with us. Ba-da-ba, new sport, ba uh, welcome back in. We've got Luke Toomey in studio with us, uh, Kiwi Pro Golfer. We've been talking uh, all sorts from uh, the mental difficulties of golf, the struggle of uh, of being a pro golfer and, and uh, making his way throughout the world. Um, Toomes, a couple of quick fire ones for you. Um, I was going to ask you who your idol was growing up. I think it's pretty obvious. Tiger, Tiger Woods. Woods. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Anyone else? Like Maybe even recently, is there a player that you really like watching? I think it's been pretty cool to follow Foxy um, and more or less because I've played so much golf with him just at a an, or at an amateur level. Um, I was probably only really just coming in as he was starting to go out. Uh, he's a little bit older than me, but um, he... I mean, well, I've had sort of money matches with him against Wino just down the road, and mm. um, I think it's just so awesome to see someone that, um, that you talk about fishing with, yeah. and he's on tour... You know, he just finished uh, second on the DP World Tour Order of Merit last year mm. um, and second to Rory McIlroy. Like, how cool is that? So there's uh, there's Foxy, um, and then I think Stephen Yarka has probably jumped up pretty quickly on that list. Um, I don't I don't necessarily – I wasn't I'm not close to Steve in, the, in, in any way, really. I just remember being a junior. He came home um, from America, um, and – and spoke to us as juniors. I would have been about 12 years old, um, what it's like to play on tour and that sort of thing, and then played nine holes with us. And I remember he was in a bit of a slump, and uh, the, the guy probably would have shot six over for nine holes. Um, and albeit, he wouldn't have cared um, at all. But mm. um, to see someone like that just grind and grind and grind and grind, um, and then to get to where he is now is phenomenal yeah. and extremely motivating in the sense that hey you've got you have got time yeah no um, he he's a, he's that great sort of and like you said to just sort of um determination story because yeah. you know for a lot of people that that would have closed the door on it i imagine yeah. um and he's just doing great things yeah um i guess i mean i'd have to throw cambo in there too mm. i mean uh, like i was wearing kia kaha shirts everywhere around <laughs> huntley and yeah. golf course yeah uh, when i was young and i was lucky enough to meet him when i was, was like nine about two years before he won the US Open as well. Brilliant. So, yeah. I mean, I've got plenty. I've got plenty of idols. My dad's an idol. Mike Groom's an idol. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but, yeah, in a golfing sense, it's pretty hard to go past uh, the mamba. Yeah. So, Tiger Woods. Uh, next one, um, your favourite course that you've played ever and the course that you want to play? Augusta is pretty easy as far as the course that I want to play. Um, 
we played Victoria and Kingston Heath for the Aussie Open this mm-hmm. year, and they were both phenomenal. And this is maybe a sneakily unpopular opinion, but I have to probably rate Victoria slightly above Kingston Heath. Sure. Um, and the other one I would say is Royal Birkdale. I got to play there just for fun, mm-hmm. um, just with our mate Andy yeah. um, while I was up near Manchester last year. And what a golf course. I mean, I didn't get to play it in, in, in British Open conditions, but... I could. I was sort of reliving shots. Uh, the famous shot that Jordan Spieth hit from you know 100 meters wide of semi fairway, and uh, but as a golf course, so sick. Mm. That is mint. Um, what what like uh, for you? What what's what makes a good golf course? Because you know for for amateurs, you just look at like how green it looks and the, the yeah, mowing yeah, yeah. lines and everything. You think it's amazing, but for, for someone who is a pro, what what sticks out as like key features for a good course? I find course architecture extremely amusing anyway. Um, as I said, I'm a notorious golf pervert, but um, <laughs> probably, yeah, probably not your typical things that what, what would make a golf course look pretty, but things that I think what make a golf course tough but fair, um, something where you really toe the line of difficulty and reward, um, a course that gives you a thousand options and you feel like none of them are the right choice. Um, one that might create sort of optical illusion as well. Like you sort of see like a bunker that looks green side and you get up there and it's actually 50 back of the greens, uh, stuff like that. Um, a course that demands uh, skill. So one where you uh, say off the tee, it'd be better to be in the left side of the fairway. And if you, it might even be better to be in the left rough than it is to be in the right side of the fairway sort of thing. Mm. Um Lots of different things. Yeah. Um, but I just found Royal Birkdale, every single hole was kind of like, well, I could, you know, I could hit driver off the tee and give myself 40 in, but I, um, and if I do, it's like a guaranteed three almost. But if I lay up, then I take six out of play or seven out of play, but I could, you know, I could still easily make bogey from 100 metres in the fairway. So mm. just a million different options. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that because you know, for me, it's just like okay, hit it straight. Happy days. Uh, yeah, <laughs> don't like it's it's so interesting. Yeah, hearing pro golfers and like I said, you are, you are a fanatic, and um, it's just interesting hearing them talk about golf in just such a different language to, to most of us because we yeah, like I said, we just want to hit it straight. We just want to try and get there. And as least shot, you guys are like, I mean, even the the left rough thing is like that. You don't even think about that as a casual golfer. Eh? Like, oh, I'd be happy to be in that rough over there, but it does sort of make sense. What um. You probably play with a lot of you know a lot of your mates who probably aren't that good you know probably high handicappers or whatever. What's uh, what would be like a bit of an advice from a pro to a uh, to a casual high handicapper? Like, what do you see as some of their biggest problems, either skill wise or, or even just mentally? Um, you got you got to have a good short game, and that's never changed. Um, the fastest way I think you're going to improve is is learning how to chip and putt. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you can just get down in two to th- or if you can get down in two to three shots from next to the green more often than not, uh, I would say most sort of fifteen plus handicappers are going to shave shots off their handicap in a heartbeat. Um, and then beyond that, you've got to be pretty good off the tee I think um, and I think probably for your average club golfer that just means don't hit it in the rubbish don't hit it in the junk mm. you know it's fine if you don't hit every fairway it's okay but hit it further than 150 metres and, and give yourself a chance to hit it near the green mm. um, you know if you're near the green in two and then 
you can get up and down or like every other time and then just get down in three every other time all of a sudden you're playing off nine right mm, yeah um if you're just making a bogey every second hole you're going okay and making par every other hole mm. um but what i see probably the most is most guys most people are you know trying to hit a perfect shot down the fairway where there's a fence right next to the fairway again just aim it in the right trees it's okay yeah um uh, and then high chance you're probably going to pull it in the fairway anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and like the expectation thing's funny, yeah, because like I, I've been getting back into it, and like Andy's been giving me a couple of lessons, and and I love his posts on on Instagram about you know mental things that just casual golfers need to get in their head. Like you're not going to hit it perfect every single time. Like bro, that you feel like that's what you want to do, but yeah. really it's not realistic. Yeah, and and you want to like you get stuck in the trees and you think, oh, I might try and just you know draw this around that tree, which is. Never going to happen for a high yeah, handicap yeah. golfer, but yeah. you know the, the expectation of a casual golfer sometimes can get in the way of of enjoying it because yeah. they think that they're better than they are. I've told Andy this before. Um, I think he's probably used it on social media and claimed it as a, as, as his own. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you got to ask the question. You know, what am I out here playing for? Am I playing here out here playing to shoot the lowest score possible, have the most Staplewood points possible, mm. or am I out here just having fun and you know? Um, I, and giving myself the opportunity to try a few things that I want. But you can't have it both ways. You can't have your finger in both pliers. If you you might have a day, sure, where you take on a, a couple of miracle shots and they come off and you do end up signing for 42 Stavies. But um, for the most part, I think you've got to, if you are going to play around and, and you know, try and bomb at 350 off the tee, then you've got to accept, you know, the odd toe shank or a top. Yeah. This is part and parcel of like taking risk. Mate, I, yeah, I have very much accepted that I'm a terrible golfer. And that's helped me a lot, actually. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no broken clubs anymore. Um, mate, just before I let you go, one thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, was about Live Golf, because I know you, uh, you've you sort of tweeted about it, you've you've done social media stuff about it as well, and I do um, love hearing your point of view. So h- how do you sort of view Live at the moment? Like um, it, it's gone through... I guess the initial phase of just this outrage to now I feel like there is a, a split between fans. Some fans are, are all for it, other fans are that very conservative, you know, PGA is the only way type thing. Um, as, a, as a pro golfer with, with probably both opportunities on the table, as it were, what, how, do you, how do you view Liv? I think, I think Liv's biggest problem and the PGA Tour's biggest problem to begin with is just all this nonsense about, it's all about growing the game and you know, we want to make it more accessible and all this. It's rubbish. It's all about cash. Mm. Um, and I think we all kind of know that. Um, but a lot of players and a lot of uh, corporate bodies would save themselves a lot of pain if they just avoided that conversation. So if we park that, if we move that to the side, then I think live. you can't deny that it's been good for professional golf. Um, it's asked questions of the PGA Tour regardless of Liv's product. And all of a sudden, players are getting paid, I think, what they're worth versus other sports. If you compare them to other sports, yep. if you look at Le- LeBron James getting paid $250 and um, in, like, in, in his contracts, and um, all of a sudden, golf purses like the players went from literally $12 million to $25 million overnight. And so then you've got to ask, okay, if that could, if that could happen in the space of 12 months, then where was that money for yeah. the last 25 years. Totally. Um, and who was it going to? Um, we've got the, like, they've now brought out the PIP, like, program, and they've got, you know, 
$10 million to just hand out to the player that has the most impact, which they may as well hand to Tiger Woods every year. So <laughs> the, guy, the, guy, the guy played three events last year and yeah. won the, wins the PIP. Yeah. So um, I think it's been extremely productive. I don't necessarily think that Live is the best product or is the future of golf or anything like that. But what I do like is that it's asked the question of the PGA Tour um, to promote kind of more fairness to like what the real product is and that's the players mm. the PJ Tour think they're the product but the players are the product um, I don't think we could care less if we were watching the PJ Tour of um, of kindergarten well, if the best players if Roy McIlroy and John Rahm show up we're mm. going to watch it right Yeah, it's got nothing to do with which body is running it totally um, so yeah I think Again, uh, if I just uh, like, I, th- I think it's I think it's awesome that um, like, there's a, like a lot of players can go and now like, they're guaranteed that they, uh, the PJ Tour. Sorry, the PJ Tour is paying players now like they guarantee them five hundred thousand dollars a year, um, and that you know that might seem like an outlandish amount of money, but again, when you compare that to like contracts of footballers, basketballers, um, Formula One drivers, whatever. Um, it's a it's a tiny piece of grain, on like on, a grain of sand on the beach, mm. um, and honestly, like a year to play on tour on the PGA Tour is probably costing between one hundred and hundred fifty thousand dollars anyway. Wow! Um, so if you were to miss every cut, then you're gonna take home roughly three fifty for yeah. the year, right? Yeah. Um, and that's just a guarantor as well. Like if you go and make if you made bang on $500,000 a year, then the PGA Tour won't pay you a cent. Right. So it's just a bit of a, it's an underwrite, basically. Yeah, yeah which is good, though. It gives you confidence as well and keeps probably people. It just takes pressure off, right? Yeah, correct, yeah. yeah and then guys can. are just, yeah, they're just playing golf. Um, mate, we're running out of time. We've got to let you go. What um, What's coming up next? So the, the Charles Tour is on hold, isn't it, for, for winter now? That was the last event, I think. Yeah, Moody Way was the, the last one for the season. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what's next for you? Where are you heading? Uh, I've just got one small trip to Fiji, which I'd call a working holiday, more, <laughs> more of a holiday, yeah. um, which would be really nice. Uh, my wife and I haven't had any time together for the last couple of, or any time outside of you know our own household for the last couple of years. So yeah. it'd be nice for Kayla and I to go and enjoy some time together and on the beach um, and, and play a little bit of golf as well. Um, but, but it's a quiet winter for me, um, and I'm basically just going to gear up and get myself ready for a full season back on Aussie Tour, um, uh, which will start for me in roughly August. Um, so I've got a few things I can work on and adjust. I think I sort of dipped my toes in the water last year. It was more about sort of getting my playing and competitive feels back after two years kind of um, playing only domestically. Um so yeah, it was nice to feel sort of some nerves and anxiety again on a, on a first tee, and you know having to hold putts to you know get my progress to the next week and that sort of thing. Mm. But now I've got a full card. I've had that sort of um, taste tester, and I really want to go and get um, one of those three DP World Tour cards. So just a lot of training and preparation for that, and mm. yeah, try and keep moving this career along. Lovely, man. Well, uh, pleasure to have you in Studio Tombs. Um, it's been great seeing you. It's been great following your career as well. So, uh, yeah, learned a lot over the last uh, 40 minutes or so. I'm sure our listeners loved it as well. So uh, thanks each for coming in. And, uh, yeah, good luck for the, for the next couple of months. Thanks for having me, Sammy. Pleasure.